1: What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Striking Gold, your 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. This week's episode is sponsored by TickPick, which would be your first choice to buy football tickets because they save fans money by never charging any service fees ever. TickPick is the exclusive ticketing partner for the Striking Gold podcast and the Blue Wire Network. My name is Rob Lauder. I cover the 49ers for Blue Wire, and to set the stage a little bit, I am. Got to spend Thanksgiving. A lot of you guys know this if you listen to the pod, uh, the last episode. I got to spend Thanksgiving and Thanksgiving weekend um, at a beach house with the significant other side of the family. It was awesome. Loved it. Unfortunately, driving home on the Sunday after Thanksgiving was not enjoyable. Um, I have three hours through the grapevine to prove it, um, which unfortunately ran right through the 49ers game. So I was relegated to listening to the game on KMBR, which was actually a pretty enjoyable experience. Turns out Papa is really good at his job. And, but I mean, that really doesn't paint the picture completely of what I was seeing in the game. So I have enlisted a little bit of help by the name of KP slash Kyle Posey of NinersNation.com to come on here and help me paint the picture. So picture I mean, we'll say it like this like i have the paintbrush in my hand but kp is grabbing my wrist and and telling me (laughs) where to where to paint so anyways kp's here what's up dude man i'm good how you doing it's uh you
2: sounded like you had a great holiday weekend so props to you Uh, i don't think there's anything wrong with taking a little break you know um getting away from the game it was a
1: lot of fun it was a lot of fun it was a great i mean dude we i was playing Football on the beach with a bunch of like 12 and under kids. Like it was so fun, yes. man. It, it was just a good time. Um, you remember?
2: This is that, completely beside the point. Do you remember the Cardell Jones when he was at the hospital and just beat the hell out of that kid in Madden? Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. I, like that, when you said you're going in kids at the beach, in my mind, you're just stiff-arming these dudes. I also <laughs>
1: picture that skit with Peyton Manning where he's playing yeah. football ball with the kids in the park. And he's like, get open. And he just hits the kid in the back of the head with the ball. Oh, so good. Uh, and then the last thing I think of is Dave Chappelle playing uh, – playing, I, I can't remember what it was. Madden with the kid. The cancer patient oh yeah hospital. that's right he's like no and the kid's like i'm tired i want to go to sleep he's like no man <laughs> grab the sticks so oh. it was a fun weekend the drive home was brutal um and normally what should have been a three and a half hour drive took about six ish um and on most of that was spent at least half of that was spent in the grapevine there were three different accidents And, uh, so yeah, it was, it was, but anyway, the weekend, it it didn't, it wasn't enough to dampen the weekend. The weekend was hella fun. It was one of those weekends, like every meal was, was home cooked, uh, you know, and obviously including Thanksgiving and it was, it was legit, but you know what else legit, or I guess what else is fun is watching the Seattle Seahawks implode, which they did. They did. What did you think of, uh, what'd you think of old Russell Wilson out there slinging it? He,
2: for people who tell you quarterback height does not matter, I give you Russell Wilson. He just can't <laughs> see, man. He can't see things that you're supposed to be able to see from the quarterback position. There were like three throws where I'm like, dude, just throw the ball, man. <laughs> He's there. Throw it. And he doesn't. But also, a lot of the topic, I mean, in like the football sphere among nerds, people make it sound like running the football doesn't matter. You cannot watch the Seahawks and think running the football doesn't matter. They get into like these obvious passing situations, and they can't do anything. But before that, they can't do anything because they can't get any sort of push up front. They're just not a good football team, man. Um, It's the end of an era for sure.
1: Yeah, that, so if if you didn't watch the game, uh, the Seahawks on Monday Night Football lost on prime time for all the world to see to the Washington football team, seventeen to fifteen, and even that, I guess, I mean, technically Seattle was in it. They 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 they, they drove, they're the ones that drove down that field and scored that last minute touchdown. But it was on, you know, it was made possible by kind of what I felt was a questionable, yeah. like I felt like they took that touchdown away from Washington when it kind of should have stayed that way and. That was that game was a lot of fluke. It was there was. Yeah, that's a good way of describing. It, it was a lot of fluke. And um, it just it legitimately for the first time, really, to me this season, you know, obviously some of Seattle's losses came with Geno Smith, who actually didn't look bad for, for being put into the position he was. But this is the first time to me the Seahawks looked like a legit three and eight team. Like they just did not look like a good football team at all. Um, for, from so many different points of view, like the fact that they just, like, weren't throwing the ball to, uh, to D.K. Metcalf, or, I mean, or at least not completing passes to D.K. Metcalf. Uh, you know, Tyler Lockett gets, like, ignored the entire second half after, like, making multiple big plays in the first half. They, so weird. They couldn't run the ball. They averaged less than three yards a carry. Russell Wilson was missing receivers that were just standing there. Like it was, it was just a weird, weird game and they legitimately looked bad. So, and they face the 49ers next week.
2: Right. Their defense is terrible too. Like that's another thing there. They they, they, I think they got three stops in a row at the end of the third quarter, start of the fourth, whatever to keep the game close. But outside of that, they played like a bad football team. It seemed like Washington was able to extend a few drives just because the Seahawks goofed. They made penalties to extend the drive. It looked like a three and eight team for sure, as you say.
1: Yeah, I mean, Tyler Heineke completed. Is it Taylor or Tyler?
2: Uh, Taylor. Taylor. I, don't,
1: I don't want to disrespect him, but uh, fun you know, quarterback. He completed seventy seven percent of his passes for two hundred and twenty three yards, and they still ran the ball all over them the the Washington's running game looked a lot like the 49ers. They didn't have necessarily a huge like yards per carry average. It was only 3.5, but they ran the ball 43 times for hundred and sixty two yards. Right, right. And that's they they did it. They were a nearly a carbon copy of what the 49ers have been doing lately, which worked really well and you know that bodes well for the 49ers because they're going to want to do something very similar, except they have better players than Washington does. So, if my football math is correct, the 49ers should do better. But we all know that's not how it works, especially Ever. between <laughs> especially between the 49ers and the Seahawks. So, um, but anyways, this uh, this is uh, our this is I, obviously I would have wanted this reaction to come last night, but given my crazy drive home. I wanted to make sure that KP could get on here because he watched the game. I watched part of the game and listened to the rest, so I didn't want to just jump on right after the game and spew a bunch of nonsense that I couldn't really uh, substantiate with my own eyes. Since then, I've watched most of the game and and you know basically watched the game unfold, so I can talk about it a little bit better. But so really, as like I said, I like to get the reaction stuff out the morning after the game, but the only reason I didn't is just to bring you a better presentation so don't hate me um so let's get into it 49ers officially have a winning record after beating the minnesota vikings 34 to 26 in what felt exactly like a playoff game did it not
2: yeah and that was what you wanted to see so you knew that i think we knew the 49ers were for real based on how they handled jacksonville and you knew that this was going to have like a playoff type atmosphere and i thought that they did a good job of handling adversity because that's what happens in the playoffs. You are going to make mistakes. They overcame those and they really showed a killer type of instinct at multiple times through the game. So I thought that was the best part about the game, but yeah, definitely playoff atmosphere and in multiple good, like multiple ways too. Like the crowd was live too. And that was fun.
1: Yeah, it was, it was just a crazy game. It wasn't that it wasn't very similar to the last time the 49ers played the Vikings in the playoffs uh, on that one, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo did make some mistakes and then the 49ers just basically pounded the rock for the entire rest of the game. Um, and the defense pretty much shut down Minnesota. Whereas in this one, it was a little bit more of a shootout where Jimmy Garoppolo still made some, some mistakes, but also had some answers to those mistakes. And the defense was obviously a little bit more vulnerable to Minnesota than they were in 2019 because the defense was a lot better. Uh, in 2019 but it just didn't really feel like the same game obviously the same amount of energy but the way the game unfolded was just different it, it was just different it felt a little more like a shootout than kind of like that defensive driven win they had last time so i guess the third quarter was off, wild there were 32 yeah, points in the third quarter right that was the weirdest thing to listen to it was just like the 49ers just scored and then they scored again and then they scored again. And then the Vikings scored. <laughs> and then you're just like, what right. is going on? Right. Um, so I guess we'll just start with, with the obvious point. What did you think of the old Jimmy G? I mean, I I feel like this game had a very kind of unique blend of of the 49ers still sticking to the run, but a lot of it still being on Jimmy G. What do you think? I don't think
2: he played well. I think that he left a lot of meat on the bone in this one. I thought that they could have been up big early, I don't think he was taking the shots that he needed to. I thought that he was just a little predetermined on some of his reads and he was too skittish in the pocket. That changed as the game went along. I really think he he realized that he just didn't have a choice. I got to let it loose. But I think the most frustrating part about him is whenever he plays like that, he plays very good. Like he's a he can be a good quarterback. He's capable of playing like a good quarterback, but he's just not consistent. And that's what's maddening because it is who he is. Like he, that's not going to change, and it's it's a roller coaster pretty much. You don't know what you're going to get when he drops back. Um, there are like four throws where he's missing the guy by three yards, and then there are four throws where he zips it past the defender. It's in a contested area, which is a good thing in my mind because he's giving a guy a chance, and they're able to stay on the field because they have good players, and those good players make plays. So. Um, hot and cold, too much cold, though, so I lean bad is what I would say after watching old Jimmy G.
1: Yeah, I just I, – I mean, I kind of came away with the same conclusion. I thought some of the stuff he did was great. I thought some of the stuff he did was shitty, and that's kind of been the Jimmy G experience since we've started it. Uh, really? It's just – we know he has the potential – to be or or he shows flashes of being like a top 10 quarterback more towards 10 than anything else but and he shows flashes of being a bottom 10 quarterback just it really is kind of a a crazy roller coaster experience and uh you know and you got that right off the get he Jimmy Garoppolo started the game off with this perfect throw to Juwan Jennings for like 20 something yards and then two plays later he throws an interception where he just sails it over I think Brandon Ayuk's head and, and it's easily picked by the Vikings. So And then I think he was getting cussed out by Kyle Shanahan. Uh, I don't oh, know. He, was, he <laughs> was giving it to him. It's hard to tell with, and you'll know this just as much as anybody, it's hard to match sideline mannerisms and body language with what's actually leaving their mouth. I mean, how many Absolutely. times have we seen, like, players getting crucified because it seems like they're yelling at their teammates? And then you finally get the audio. I think there was, there was one with Des, Des Bryant at one point. Um, or then you finally get the audio and you realize he's saying like super encouraging shit, just in like a, trying to pump him up. An aggressive way. Like, meaner. Yeah. Yeah. And coaches do the same thing. So I don't, I don't, it definitely looked like <laughs> Kyle Shanahan was giving it to him though. But, um, I don't know. I, I just, it, it's hard to say, but yeah, with Jimmy Garoppolo, man, I mean, he made some pretty impressive throws, but then he made some where like, dude, like, like the one that just sticks in my mind was that out route to George Kittle that he Oof. like floated and under throw that, that could have very easily underthrew that could have very easily been a pick six. If the DB was just a little bit more in position or kind of this little had turned around a little bit sooner playing with fire yeah. right there. Yeah. And it's like, it's stuff like that, man. And, and, and then I did, and I have seen quite a bit, I, I usually don't give pay too much stock to like all the clips that come out after a game of a quarterback like missing someone that's open because I'm pretty sure you could do that for every quarterback, every game, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, that's just a consistent thing with, with quarterbacks. You don't see everyone every time, but I did see quite a few, quite a bit more this time of Jimmy Garoppolo missing wide open players and, and then trying to force it into some, somebody else. Uh, I mean, I haven't like broken down the film, haven't grinded it out, but it sounds (laughs) like that kind of goes with what you're saying. Yeah, it was he, and he.
2: That's what I say when I mean, or that's what I mean when I say. It. <laughs> so the George Kittle one, the first drop back, and it's it's hard to get that out of your mind when that is the very first play that you see. So they run the play. Jimmy rolls out a little bit. He is locked on to. I believe it was Debo, and there are two defenders on Debo. There is nobody on George Kittle. George Kittle is running wide open, like
1: 12 to 15 yards down the field. With With, room to run, too. With plenty of room to run
2: after the catch. And it's going to be one-on-one, him and the entire field. So that is going to be tough to, you know, just get out of your mind for the rest of the game. So from there, you're probably going to be looking at, okay, what else did he miss? If he missed on the first drop back, it probably happened a lot more. Uh, There was one where I thought, just kind of told you who Jimmy Garoppolo is as a quarterback. So it was man coverage off to the right side. You have a man coverage concept. So the outside receiver runs a five-yard curl route. He's going to run up, go to five yards, turn around. The slot receiver is Brandon Ayuk. He is one-on-one. He has no safety help over the top. He is going to run a fade, which means he's going to run straight, and he's going to run, <laughs> beyond, run past his man. That's what happened. Uh, Jimmy took the check down, and so the curl route in that scenario – Even if it's an incomplete pass to Brandon Ayuk, that's going to stretch the defense. But he has a step and a half on the DB, which he tends to do against DBs. And what was even more crazy to me, it just made this more egregious than I feel like the Kittle one, is like the safety Harrison Smith was on the other side of the field. So they get a great concept, have a half a field with Brandon Ayuk to work with, and he checks it down to Elijah Mitchell. On I believe second and ten for a gain of three when it probably could have been a touchdown would have been an explosive play a defensive pass interference like after all of that incomplete pass so the probability of that happening is is the mindset is that's why I have a problem with um, just how he plays the position
1: <laughs> and that's the part that you have to wonder how this relationship is I mean I mean between Kyle Shanahan and and Jimmy Garoppolo because there there has to be. Just, I mean, hours of of not the greatest film sessions between the Weekly. two of them, like, like, right, like uh, you miss this guy. This was the read. You threw it here instead. You miss this guy. This and now, like I said, the only the only way that that he's not being you know torn apart by those is maybe it's late in the progression. He doesn't feel like he has the time. He's just kind of firing it in to one of the first two reads. But I, we don't. I don't know that. I just know that. At least this week, more than most, he uh, there were a lot of of clips of of people being open and cool. him just going a different way with it. And in typical Jimmy Garoppolo fashion, you also had some pretty impressive throws. You know, uh, the one on uh, third down, I think it was Trent Sherfield just kind of firing it in there and getting what you needed to get. And maybe they maybe he missed somebody on that play too. You know, that one to Juwan Jennings, the kind of that out route right along the end zone that was nice. Um, put the ball exactly where it had to be to give him time to just square his shoulder and get in front of the pylon. He had that other good throw to Jawan Jennings that, I mean, it could have been a little bit better, but that one that was that where his knee just was barely out of the end zone.
2: Yeah. I do remember that one. The Sherfield play that you're talking about. So that was in the fourth quarter backed right. up in your own end zone on third down without Debo Samuel. So that's what it's going to look like for a game, maybe two games and he was under pressure he had to go from one read to read came across the field to Sherfield hit him on time like that's what i'm talking about which is like a big boy throw a an nfl quarterback type of play that you want to see like that those are the type of plays that we should be applauding
1: they just don't happen that often
2: right <laughs> right and that's that's probably why you know it's so upsetting for a lot of people when they watch him because um third and 13 i believe or third and 11 towards the end of the half he throws like a laser to Brandon Ayuk over the middle, yeah, yeah. and they extend the drive. Where, why do you? Why can this not happen more often, man? Because it's clear he has it in him, but um, just yeah, too too many inconsistencies. And when we talk about that first Kittle play, that. So I can understand why he misses that one, because you probably practice that play over and over. And in practice, there's not going to George Kittle's not going to be running wide open like that never happens. So muscle memory tells you, OK, Debo has been open all week in practice. Let me one, two, three, four, five, drop and throw to Debo. I I get that. But when I go to like the man type of stuff where he's he's checking it down or he's not throwing to his best player in man coverage, that's where I, what I don't understand about him.
1: Right. Yeah, it's just uh it's a frustrating experience. It's a frustrating experience. So, and that's kind of just what I've relegated it to. Like, you know, at this point that yeah, you're going to get both. Uh maybe sometimes we'll get more of the good and as we've seen, sometimes we'll get more of the bad. That's just the uh the old Jimmy G experience. But hey, at least the 49ers are going to trade him after this season for <laughs> being in Rapoport for who knows what, but I don't know. Whatever. Great scoop right there, Rap. Yeah, man, that was that was crazy because it was almost like what they were going to do all along. (laughs) But hey, good scoop, man. Um, I mean, the rest of the offense, we could talk about that, too. I think the next person you immediately have to go to is I mean, I was I like contradicted myself. Because I was going to say Elijah Mitchell, and I think that that's fair. Elijah Mitchell has proven he's like the new bell cow for the 49ers in the best of ways. But to me, and I said it last week, said it the week before this, Debo Samuel is the engine that makes this thing go. And if you hadn't heard, he did suffer a groin strain against the Vikings. Um, On the positive side of things, it's not supposed to be significant, maybe one to two weeks. But on the not-so-positive side of things, the 49ers have to go one to two weeks without Debo Samuel. And I mean, normally, and I do think the 49ers can, can win games without him, but man, like he has just proven himself to be like the 49ers MVP this season. And, and there's really no other way for me to put that. Like he is the, I mean, Trent Williams might have something to say about this, but to me, Debo Samuel has, is like, he's at the very core of what makes this team go now, which is wild considering we did not expect that going into the season. Trent Williams doesn't have any 49 yard runs. Trude no, Williams he doesn't, doesn't have any not. 20 yard touchdowns.
2: Um, he's Debo's just a special player, man. He's a special dude. He is like all of these gadget hyped up um, Percy Harvin, Devin Hester. He's like the best version of all of them just because you can give him the ball. They gave him six carries and he had a 49 and a 20 yard touchdown run. That doesn't happen. Like, this is not normal. And we're, we've kind of normalized it because we see it every week. But the luxury of having knowing that you have a receiver who, by the way, has 1,000 yards on the season um, through 11 games, and he's not this highly volume-targeted guy who they're force-feeding the ball, a la Cooper Cup. Um, they're able to split them out wide, and they're still able to hey, by the way, we're going to throw you in the backfield because – We need a big play. And what does he do? He gives you a big play. That's not how this game is supposed to work, but he makes it happen, man. Even on his, like, short carries, he had a run for three yards, and there's a linebacker unblocked. This linebacker is Eric Kendricks, very good player. He doesn't get a hand on Debo, and then he runs around to the edge, runs over Patrick Peterson, physical cornerback. He just makes good players look average, and I think that's really a testament to, like, who this type of guy is um one catch for 12 yards and he had such an impact on the game
1: yeah it's weird to think of it like that because technically nobody's changed his his label or anything you know he's still technically wide receiver Debo Samuel but you just if you were looking at his wide receiver stat line you'd be like well I mean he didn't do anything right and then you, you look at the carries and you watch the game and you're like Jesus man this dude's something else and it's what's funny too is anytime Debo's in the backfield or Debo's in motion the entire defense just assumes or knows that he's the one getting the ball, and it's not necessarily always the case. But there's a very good chance that he's going to be the one that gets the ball, and he still makes the play. And obviously, that's a huge shout out to everybody that's blocking their ass off for him. But I mean, the, the, it's just special watching him play football. That first touchdown he had had around the right side, where you look like he it looks like he might get pushed down in bounds for like four or five yards. And then he turns it upfield and turns it into a 20-yard touchdown. So
2: He's running full speed in one direction. It seems like there, he has no shot. And then he just stops, doesn't lose any speed, cuts upfield, and, yeah, he outruns everybody.
1: He's like a, He plays football like a Formula One race car. Like he, <laughs> That's great. he just like moves around unnaturally, and it's pretty awesome to watch. But, like we said, 49ers are not going to have him for at least the next week or two. Um, so we'll see how they adapt to that because that is that is no small loss. Um, it's good that he's not – it's nothing season-ending. It's good that, you know, that it wasn't serious. But at the same time, they've got the 49ers in a position where they can't really afford to lose games. Um, and they're, they've lost, like, one of their me- most impactful players on offense. But right behind him, you have uh, the man with a pin in his hand still – from finger surgery, Elijah Mitchell just calmly r- rattling off 27 carries for 133 yards, a touchdown, and also had five catches for 35 yards. I mean, that's that's pretty nuts, man. That's, that's getting up close to 200 all-purpose yards in, from a dude who, who just had surgery on his hand. Now, I understand it's a running back and it's your hand, but kind of important for the position. Like, not only does it kind of hold on to the ball that you have to hold on to, but it gets hit almost every single play like there's no protecting your hand as a running back so pretty impressive man like I don't know what it what, dude and I was thinking about this while I was watching him earlier what do you think what makes Elijah Mitchell good that's a really good question because there's a lot of things there's a lot of answers he's
2: he's very fast he runs very hard like um, he's just a he's a physical player
1: Player, he's got great vision. We've seen that already. He
2: he doesn't go down easily. I think that's important. Just having good like contact bounce where so you're gonna just eventually. So Frank Gore pinballed off of people and was like able to make two yard runs into six yard runs because he would bounce off people and fall for it. Mitchell does a really good job of falling forward. You would think with how fast he is that he would have more explosive runs, like that he would have more twenty yard chunk plays. But they really don't happen. Like his longest gain of this this last game was 15, but it seemed like he had a bunch of tens in there. Um, 27 carries, 133 yards, uh, averaged what? So five yards a carry. About. Um, I I don't. I really don't know how to answer that question. I think it's just he's he runs really fast, really straight, and it works out well for him. <laughs>
1: <laughs> which is what Kyle Shanahan's offense wants, you know, guys that'll kind of follow that movement across the line. And then once the crease opens up, you're gone. Like, and that's it. And the the best way I could put it is, is, and you kind of just said it is Elijah Mitchell had a lot of 10 yard runs. He had a lot, of, a lot of, he averaged five yards of carry, but I would say that he himself is responsible for, Probably on average, at least three yards after contact every play, which is, it's hard. I mean, maybe it's not hard to explain. I mean, you can't put a value on a running back that can do that because all of a sudden the run that, was, that wasn't that was blocked up well was blocked up for maybe two yards becomes five yards. And now, in you know, then you do that again. Maybe he doesn't get as much, but then you're looking third and short instead of third and long. And him... Routinely doing that throughout an entire game, which it seems like he does, uh, really adds up. It demoralizes the defense. It keeps drives going. It—it's it, just crazy how often he, you know, I—I. I, I, it's kind of a slight, but Elijah Mitchell is playing how I thought Trey Sermon was going to play. Hundred percent. Because yeah. if you watch that guy in college, Trey Sermon never went down at first hit that dude broke tackles like a madman and maybe he still will have his day. I'm not, I'm definitely not counting him out already. That'd be silly. Um, you know, and, and unfortunately for him, he's just is a likely candidate for injured reserve after what was described as a pretty significant ankle sprain, low ankle sprain. Um, but that can still suck. So I don't know, man, Elijah Mitchell, just he's exactly what this offense needs right now. And knowing that you have a Jeff Wilson Jr. chilling that like doesn't have to do anything right now is pretty nice because Jeff Wilson Jr. is an impressive running back too in my eyes. And him just getting time to, to get healthy while Elijah Mitchell just does his damn thing is pretty good. And those two running backs to me can really hammer home a game-winning drive. You know, like just hard just nosed, saw. not going down quickly. I'm gonna get at least two or three more yards after you hit me, type running backs. And that's really what the forty nineers brand of football and offense has turned into, right?
2: Yeah, that last drive that they had to what chew up like seven minutes, I believe. They they end up missing the field goal because of course. But yeah,
1: that was that was a seven minute seven and eight seven minutes and eight second drive.
2: Yeah, twelve plays. So that is what they, they can do. They can run it on you. You can know that they're going to run the ball on you, and you still can't stop it. That's why when we talk about running the ball doesn't matter. How can you watch the Seahawks? How can you watch the 49ers offense playing ball hog, knowing that if this was one of those back-and-forth games where the 49ers scored in like three, four minutes, the Vikings would have had the ball and would have had plenty of chances to do that. So um, their style of offense, their style of play, has really benefited them. I think it's, it's just who they are. Um, the Vikings, so next gen stats tells you how many people are in the box. Elijah Mitchell had 59% of his carries were in an eight or more, eight or more men in the box. That is insane. So they know what you're going to do. They're loading up to stop the run because everybody knows Kyle Shannon is going to run the ball and they still are struggling to stop it, man. that That's really impressive. But, um, who knew that he was going to be this good this quickly? So earlier in the season, people were complaining a little bit about his vision, which there were some fair critiques. But now I feel like we're seeing these type type of cutback runs um, on these tosses where he's just finding it, cutting it back, and that's where you get the 10 and the 12s. That's where you're seeing growth in Mitchell, and he is peaking at the right time, man.
1: Yeah, for sure. And they're going to need him more than ever against the Seahawks. One, because the Seahawks kind of seemed uh, susceptible to that style of play against Washington. And with Debo out, a lot of those plays that were handoffs or tosses or whatever to Debo Samuel are now going to go to Elijah Mitchell or Jeff Wilson Jr. So, and maybe that is where Jeff Wilson Jr. comes in. Some fresh legs, a dude that runs hard, you know, shares some characteristics with Debo Samuel. Not quite as fast, but, you know, the 49ers just want somebody that's going to do the damn thing and run hard. So, and then I guess to wrap it up for the offensive side of the ball, you've got um brandon Ayuk, who looks like is brandon Ayuk like fully back like is he is he him his rookie self now do you think he he has anything left to prove i think he's more physical than he was last year and seen a lot of clips
2: of him in the blocking game yeah so yeah brandon thorne does a really good job of highlighting um just blocking in general and offensive line but the play where he highlighted on the touchdown run where he just comes across the formation and cuts off Patrick Peterson and they're like kind of wrestling afterward, uh, that happens quite a bit. And that's been the case over the past month since he's been in the quote unquote doghouse or since I guess he's left the quote unquote doghouse. Uh Ayuk's just been busting his butt, man, from the start of the play through the whistle and it's kind of rubbing off in his play. He's getting open now. And I thought that there were a few more opportunities he really should have broken 100 yards in this game. But they didn't really need him to. They will. And I don't think it's going to come against Seattle. But eventually they will. Like a, a team against the Bengals where the Bengals are going to score on the 49ers. Uh, they're going to need to rely on a player like Brandon. Aik. But, yeah, he's he's been really good, man. Um, I, th- I think he just realized how good he was. And now that he's bought into what the sh- like what Shanahan and the offense needs him to do as far as blocking, um, his game has just gone to another level. So it's been nice to uh, – Just to kind of see him evolve as a player, I guess.
1: Yeah, and it it got to that point too, where enough players and coaches and general managers had mentioned kind of Ayuk's struggles, you know, including guys that are are one hundred percent locker room guys like Jimmy Garoppolo, George Kittle. Even they they had mentioned what Brandon Ayuk was going through and what his you know whether it was you know, his own fault or external factors, whatever, to where it, landed, it it gave it some gravity. Like, okay, it was like, okay, this isn't just Kyle Shanahan being a dick. This is apparently Brandon Ayuk really was doing something to deserve a little bit of this criticism, a little bit of flack and maybe the lack of targets. And it's been cool to see him turn it around because I feel like there's probably a moment for a guy like that where you can either – Rise above it and do the damn thing, kind of what we see him doing now, or kind of like reject it and push everybody away and just kind of turn into his own shell and and you know and then only bad things can really happen from there. So I I don't even know if it got that far, but you do. We've seen it so many times where a, a, a player can just spoil, and they either need to go somewhere else to succeed or their entire career kind of just falls apart because coaches talk to one another you know stuff like that and, and maybe that's a little dramatic but uh it's been cool to see him respond to whatever criticisms were thrown his way and it it may have made him a better player for it
2: he is just such a talented dude that yeah i guess you, you never know how kids these days will respond just because i think a lot of there's just a the social media lifestyle when you don't want to be called out in public and um, you don't want to be just humiliated, which what human would. Right. But it seemed like the the style that Shanahan, whether whether he had like Kittle and Jimmy, like make sure that, hey, we got to get on. Him, we got to stay on it. He has to become uh, you know, what we want him to become. And for us to do that, we have to go about it by dealing it with this way. Whatever they did worked. And I'm glad that it did because of the talent that he has. And I, I really think he can be a special dude.
1: There was even that – I don't even remember what what type of route he run. I didn't see it in that kind of detail. I think it was in like the first quarter. Maybe it was definitely in the first half where it was almost like he was running kind of like a corner route, at least on the left side of the field. He caught the ball where you would kind of be if you were running a corner. I don't know if he came from across the field, but he caught it, and then – there were kind of two defenders that had already started taking an angle towards him. And right after he caught it, he kind of turned his head around and immediately hit like another gear. It was like a 30 yard play, but you could just see the ridiculous amount of twitch and explosiveness in the way he moves. Because had he had those defenders, maybe just been maybe a yard or two back from where they were just been a little bit slower to react it would have been something where Brandon Ayuk could have turned the corner and turned it into a huge play and possibly a touchdown. It was just a really quick glimpse of, like, damn, like that guy's got some serious, serious chops, some serious speed. Yeah, um, I mean, they gave him the end
2: around, and he did the whole hurdle, him jump over a human thing. Yeah. I wonder if, you know, Debo's out, and they're not the same body body types, and I'm not saying Ayuk's going to have, you know, 15 carries a game, but I wonder if this turns into more, like, now screens, for IU, just to just to get, you know, your playmakers, the ball in he's their hands. He's slippery. Yeah, yeah, and he's a he's freaking punt returner.
1: Right, yeah. I, I wouldn't wouldn't be opposed to that. And we've seen Kyle Shanahan do that before, where he just moves the running game to the perimeter with these little quick throws out there, and, and that wouldn't surprise me at all. I think that's probably a good call. It wouldn't surprise me if we see that a lot. Um, But, yeah, pretty good game. Apparently, uh, I think we should just talk really briefly about that little, um, I thought I, I thought I retweeted it. Where is it? Hold on, hold on, hold on. there it is. Trent Williams is now, and, and you take Pro Football Focus for what you will. Like obviously, you and I are both smart enough to make our own opinions, and so are fans. But per Sam Monson of PFF's, uh of Pro Football Focus, Trent Williams is now up to a ninety-eight point two overall pre- Pro Football Focus grade, which obviously a hundred is flawless. That's absolute freaking madness. He has a 99.1 run blocking grade. The next two highest marks we've ever seen were Jonathan Ogden, a 95 in 2007, and Joe Thomas, a 92.9 in 2009. So per the boys over at Pro Football Focus, Trent Williams is literally having like the best season of any football player of all time, which is kind of just fun to talk about. Yeah, I mean, you watch him and you're like, Yeah, that that makes sense. He makes it (laughs) look
2: so easy. He does. He is – like his athleticism for an offensive lineman is not natural, not normal, I guess I should say. It's not natural that he's able to do the things he's able to do. It seems like he's a boxer. Like he's always – he's sparring with the guy the entire time. He has these little – like he'll use his inside hand. He'll he'll, he'll almost use like a swim move – to get a guy down on the ground. It's really impressive. It's fun to watch just because you don't really see offensive linemen use different tricks and like use the variety of things that he does. It's like, where do you come up with this stuff? So no wonder he never loses because he has like a deep bag of tricks. And then in like the passing game, once a game, maybe he's beat. And you're like, oh, wow. He like, he is human. He's capable of being beaten. But it's just, it's so few and far between that. When you hear like pro football focus talk about his numbers, you don't really flinch at all just because he is that freaking good.
1: Yeah, he just he just is crazy, man. Like it's just wild. Like he is just a freak of nature. Easiest money the 49ers have ever spent, you know, and and even though they've had their fair share of mistakes, shout out to John Lynch for just going and getting a guy like Trent Williams, which is kind of like, you know, like just going out and for like a third and a fifth rounder just picking up The absolute best left tackle in the NFL. It's like, dang. Like, that's pretty. That's not even like highway robbery. That's like, I don't even know what you call that.
2: You're getting a contract out. Like, no matter what he does, you're getting a contract out of the best left tackle in the NFL for a third and a fifth rounder. Of course, you're going to have to pay him a lot of money. He's the best in the game, but right. for and a third and like, fifth
1: rounder, like, come on. take it here. Have all this money, right. yes. Like it's the easiest money to spend. Quarterbacks, left tackles, and pass rushers are the absolute easiest money to spend. And shout out to Nick Bosa, who's going to get paid a lot. Oh man, um, every game now it seems like. Right, right. Well, that and that's a good segue. Um, but I'm going to kind of interrupt the segue. We're going to get a quick word in from TickPick, and when we come back, we are. Uh, we're going we'll, we'll talk defense and, and kind of they're uh, doing the damn thing against the Vikings. So you already know it 49ers football is clearly all up in the mix. And now you can be even more excited about it because the 49ers are in a legit position to earn their way into the playoffs. You don't need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find 49ers tickets because Tick Pick, that's TickPick, that's T I C K P I C K is the original no fee ticket site. And the only one you'll ever need as your go-to for all NFL ticket picks. TickPick got rid of all the awful service fees that the other ticket sites charge, which lets them guarantee the best prices on all of their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? And if you can find a better price on the same seats, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. So get on there, TickPick.com. 49ers only have a couple of home games left i think they got the falcons and the texans make sure that you are a part of that because the 49ers in a position where every win matters from here on out so get on tickpickcom slash gold today to save ten dollars on your first order of 49ers tickets that's tickpickcom slash gold as in striking gold and get yourself a free 10 bucks um
0: For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So yeah,
1: when I when I was, when I I was recorded the pod from this infamous beach house, um, I am I said that this game felt more... The past couple of weeks, it, I felt like it's come down to the offense and what they were going to do and how they were going to control the game. But going up against the Vikings, I felt like it was going to come down to the defense. Like, the Minnesota's defense had shown that it was not great pretty much in all categories. It was just okay. I didn't see the 49ers really having trouble moving the ball against the Vikings. What I did see was the 49ers defense having trouble standing up to a pretty impressive Vikings offense like that just whipped the packers uh, not whipped but you know put up put up 30 you know in the 30s against them to win the game including a game winning drive so that was where uh, my sticking point was was can the defense hold up enough to bridge that gap um for the offense and create that space for them to win the game and i obviously it's safe to say they did and i was pretty impressed it wasn't like they stifled the vikings but they held up when they needed to they made plays when they needed to um especially given some of the injuries they sustained what do you think man what was your overall thought just based on the what you saw from the defense
2: i don't think the vikings are a good matchup for them um i just think that their good players are where the 49ers' good players aren't,
1: <laughs> and that hurts.
2: <laughs> so, I mean, mean just Josh Jefferson. Norman's not good. <laughs> hey, he forces fumbles, yay! I know um, man, that's
1: like everybody's uh, and shout out to Josh Norman, you know, because that's a pretty impressive ability and he does it like on a weekly basis. But, anyways, go ahead, what do you think? No,
2: that, that is very important though, like to be clear defense is about timely stops and turnovers. So to be able to force a fumble, which he actually did and they didn't, they weren't able to come up with it, but you can't get beat in the way that he does, man. And it's one thing to get, yeah, it's one thing to get beat, but it's another to just whiff on tackles. They leave him like offenses are targeting him now. And when it's him one-on-one with a running back, he just doesn't have a shot. And he gave up a touchdown. He missed a tackle after a guy made a catch. Uh, against Justin freaking Jefferson, who's probably one of the five best receivers in the NFL. I don't know if he thought he was like Josh Norman 2015, but he tried to <laughs> jam the shit out of him at the line. Whiffed so so badly, um, ended up getting a DPI on him. But I, it's going to be bad if they get like when we talk about we talked about this beforehand. But think of the playoff teams that they are going to go against. He's going to have to go against and this is way down the line, but. Josh Norman against um, Mike Evans? Like, come on, man. Von <laughs> <Monty> Adams? <laughs> CeeDee Lamb? Amari Cooper? Lord. Okay. But, yeah, I just don't think the Vikings are a good matchup. And that's why I say timely, timely turnovers, timely stops. So the Bosa sack, like just them getting one pressure every other series or where they're forcing the quarterback like Kirk Cousins into a bad decisions, a la Aziz al Shire. Hello. Uh, how about that guy, by just the way? Scooting, right? And um, basically just
1: running the route.
2: Yeah, yeah, read his eyes. He, he ran the route for him. That was great. But to come up with those type of turnovers and those sack stops, um, that's how they're gonna have to win, just because they're not built to to be this type of team that is just gonna whoop you up front and force you into like third and ten. They are fast, which will cause and create mistakes, but they're they're a little reckless <laughs> and um you know, that's just, they're going to give up big plays. That's been the case all season. They do have really good players though. So I think when it comes down to it, they're able to get stops, just not consistent stops.
1: Right. No. And that was kind of what, what had me, you know, a little nervous going into the game is they, they have good players on defense. They've shown their, their game. They don't necessarily roll over against anybody, but at some point talent is always going to win out. And the, the Minnesota Vikings, they've just got talent all over the place, whether it's their running back, their two receivers who could be both be uh, wide receiver ones on different offenses. Right. in, in Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen. Um, and, and then you've got Kirk Cousins slinging the ball around, who I know he's kind of a consistent punching bag, but he's having a really good season, and he's done everything he needs to be. He, you know, he just plays within the – within the bounds of that offense, and he does a good job of it. And for the most part, I mean, he didn't do it against the 49ers, but he takes care of the football. And to me, dude, like, there were a lot of great plays, and Al Shire's interception was definitely one of them. That was, you know, a game-defining play. But to me, that ta- that tackle for loss slash force fumble by Kevin Givens was like the oh, game. Man. Yes. Blacks- I don't know, you know, I can never quantify this stuff, but that felt to me, just given the timing of when he did it, uh, I believe it was either late in the third quarter. Yeah, it was late in the third quarter, right before the start of the fourth quarter. Um, and that is what I believe triggered. No, they just, okay, they just got a fumble off that. The, the drive didn't, or a field goal off that. The drive didn't last very long, but um, it was just one of those plays where you take the you know, ball out of their hands. Right, and on their side of the field right after you know the 49ers in a quarter. It, w- it was responding, too, because if you look at the way this game unfolded, the 49ers scored right before halftime, and then they came out and had a really, really good drive with a big play from Debo Samuel um, to score a touchdown after that. Then they had the uh, Alshire interception, and they scored a touchdown off of that. Um, but then the Vikings responded with two touchdowns of their own. So it was kind of at a point where the Vikings had built up quite a bit of momentum and then boom, Kevin Givens just burst through the line uh, meets Dalvin cook in the backfield, obviously unintentionally hurting him in the process. Um, Dalvin cook messed up his shoulder pretty bad and causing a fumble. And then uh, none other than Aziz Alshire recovered it. And then the 49ers got a field goal out of it to turn it back into a two score game. I believe um excuse. Yeah. So it to me that, that play right there was just like damn. Like well think, yeah, think about everything that
2: happened. So 49ers kick a field goal, 46 yarder. The ensuing kickoff, they run it back 99 yards. 49ers <laughs> come out second and seventeen because oh yeah, OPI, d Debo Samuel had offensive pass interference because he was blocking um before the ball was caught, uh the screen to Ayuk was caught. And then they have to punt. The Vikings get the ball back. And if we're keeping it like honest, the defense, like they played well in periods. They were right. good on third downs, but they were coverage busts. They were missed tackles. And the Vikings were moving the ball. So they would have probably moved the ball there. We hadn't seen enough evidence um other than the Vikings stopping themselves. But yeah, that was just a game changer right there.
1: Yeah, it was a pretty impressive play. It was like a less it was like a less violent jdevian clowny hit in college you know the one where he, he just came straight through and absolutely destroyed yeah. uh, the the uh, everybody knows that play but um it was just it was very much like that didn't happen quite as as quick and as violently but it it was basically the same play and and that just kind of changed the landscape of the game uh the drive after that uh minnesota uh couldn't convert on fourth down. Then the 49ers had that seven minute drive, uh, missed the field goal. And again, Minnesota couldn't, so that like, if you just look at the possessions and the flow of the game, that fumble really killed a ton of momentum for, for Minnesota and, and kind of just gently swung things back in, in that. Plus, uh, that big old drive kind of just gently swung things back in, in favor of the 49ers. And, uh, it was just a weird defensive game. Nick Bosa, like we mentioned earlier, got another sack. I believe he's up to 11 now. 11 and 11. On the season, which basically means he's on pace for 17. <laughs> I mean, you he's You are so averaging. good at math. Yeah, I know, bro. I can do it. <laughs> Our teacher can do math. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's Nick Bosa, dude. Like, is Now, I've been mentioning this to myself because um, – uh, you're not allowed to do things outside of your employer. Um, it, it, to myself lately, is there anybody else who can is in competition for comeback player of the year alongside Nick Bosa that you can Ooh. think of? Hmm. Who missed last year? That's what I mean. Is there any big quarterbacks? I'm sure that there are some some other people competing with him for that, but it's they don't immediately pop out of my head. Um. Dak? Yep. Does Dak – yeah, that counts. But I'm not really sure Dak's quite – Dak's really having the season. Bosa is? Do you think he is?
2: No, I'm just trying to think of like winning yeah. teams. No,
1: no, yeah, for sure. Um, I'm sure there's others, but I, I think it's safe to okay. say that Nick Bosa is – Okay, I got the odds in. right here.
2: So Dak's current uh, – as of last week, Dak was a favorite. Okay. Joe Burrow was second. Okay. James okay. Conner. Oh, so um, there's a lot. Carson Wentz.
1: Huh.
2: Yeah, Nick Bosa is yep. after that, though.
1: Okay, so it goes there. Dak,
2: Burrow, Connor, Cam Newton, which will he will not be on there. <laughs> no, after this, um, Carson Wentz, Derwin James, and then Nick Bosa.
1: Okay, so there's plenty of competition, but I would say Nick Bosa is definitely a, a strong favorite. And if he if he continues the pace at which he's playing, yeah, he'll uh, be fine. Right, right. And Derwin James, man, I love talking about Derwin James. He's so good.
2: Unbelievable player.
1: Unbelievable player. And I love the fact that it's another example, and we're really getting too far off topic here, but Derwin James is another example of scouts tricking themselves or convincing themselves that a good player is not good. And it's not like people didn't think he was good because Derwin James just went later in the first round than he was supposed to. But going into that final year of college, everybody thought Derwin James was like the number one overall pick or, or like a top three pick. And he kind of had a down season. And then I think towards the end of the season, he got hurt. I can't remember. But he ended up falling. And, and of course, he's that good. Like, I don't know. It was just funny to me. Like, stop overthinking it. Did you see the interception that he had? No. I watched one of his plays where he came all the way from the right side of the defense to, to like, almost have a tackle for loss on the left side of the defense. But what I didn't see the interception. Was it awesome?
2: So, I was – I wanted to just see what T. Higgins did because I like watching wide receivers, and he, Derwin, just like dove toward an out route and caught a ball that looked like it was being thrown away for an interception.
1: (laughs) And this was, Uh, and this was, they were playing the Broncos, right? uh,
2: Yeah, yeah, it was Drew Lock. So I mean, take it for what it's worth. But um, interceptions
1: are interceptions; they still count. Yeah. Um, Okay, I'm watching it right now. Yeah, he was, like, throwing it at the ground at like yeah. the to of the receiver, and he's like, no, 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 I'll take, yep. that. I'll those take that. Those are mine.
2: Um, those are mine, too. Let me pick those. No, just talking about the defense, talking about Bosa, that's how they're going to get off the field. That's just how they're built, I feel like. So whether it's a sack, and it's not always going to be an interception or a sack, but Givens is a good example where somebody just wins their one-on-one battle, gets the offense behind the chains, and now, you know, third and eight, third and nine, third and double digits, that's how you win and get off the field, and I think that's who they're going to be.
1: Yeah, it really does come down to that because when you've got Josh Norman running around back there <laughs> finding ways to implode, it really is going to come down to – Do they ever and, throw to Emmanuel Mosley? I don't know, man. We could just call him a lockdown corner <laughs> because they're throwing to Josh Norman. Just and pretend yeah. Just pretend that the other guy isn't the reason why? No, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's because Emmanuel Mosley's got him locked down. But yeah, it was just, it, it was, it was not necessarily from an overall standpoint, it wasn't an, that impressive of a game for the defense, but it was like they made plays when they absolutely had to make plays, you know, and, and they kind of in their own way defined the game, which is cool because you know, it just shows that they've got a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. They've got a little bit of a, you know, a, a fire in them that, in situations where maybe other defenses would roll over and just get give up another drive, they find a way to make it work, which is a cool quality. It doesn't necess- it, may, it may not be sustainable, you know. Like you said, when you go up against truly elite talent in the playoffs, um, usually stuff like that just doesn't work anymore. Um, but Minnesota Vikings have a pretty good offense, and they they did enough.
3: Like yeah, I,
2: I think they're a good team. I still think that they're, they're going to make the playoffs, too.
1: Yeah, I do, too. I do, too. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how the rest of the season has to unfold. I mean, you could just take the easy route and say the 49ers need to win out. But and now that the the Rams have lost, uh, the Rams lost to the Packers. Coveto. Right? The what? The Coveto right right look at my toe in the camera um,
2: God, he's so weird man. <laughs> he is
1: weird man um and and the 49ers are within so let's just wrap this up with since I can couldn't get it to load on my page why don't you walk us through the uh the division the the NFC yeah and how, yeah. And how that shit's playing now
2: so Cardinals number one seed nine and two they had a bye week uh Packers number two. They are 9-3. They just beat the Rams. Bucks number three, were down to the Colts. Thought that the Colts might do it. Um, Tom Brady did Tom Brady things, so that didn't happen. They are first in the NFC South at 8-3. Cowboys lost to the Raiders, but to be fair, they were pretty injured. Uh, 7-4, first team in the NFC East. Rams are spiraling out of control. A good homie of mine texted me a couple weeks ago that said people forget Sean McVay turns into a pumpkin every year around Thanksgiving. <laughs> like his offenses just start to suck out of nowhere. And this always happens. And we always wonder why. But I think it's just him not evolving. And maybe it's not a quarterback issue. And obviously, golf is golf. Like he's not good, but um, it has to be more than the offense. And I think it comes down to them. But they're seven and four. 49ers are right behind them at six and five. Obviously, these two teams play each other one more time. That game at the end of the year could be for a pretty critical playoff seating. Um, could be the, you know, determining whether you play Dak or Tom Brady. Um, actually, with Washington winning tonight, they are five and six, and they are now, um, they have the tiebreaker over the Vikings, who are now the ace seed. So, I and mean, so do sure.
1: the 49ers now, which could, yes, be, yes, could yes. be important. Yes,
2: yes, yes. Also important. Um, Yeah, I would imagine teams would much rather see Washington in the playoffs than an offense like the Vikings. And I'm not saying the Vikings are, you know, a juggernaut, but you you just don't want to face a team with that type of those type of weapons. Um, After that, so the Falcons are somehow five and six.
1: (laughs) I know. I saw that. I was like, what are you guys doing here? Uh,
2: They just beat the Jags. The Saints are 5 6 2, but they are going in the wrong direction. The Eagles are 11.
1: They're going that way, too. Yeah,
2: yeah. They they just announced that Taysom Hill is going to start to to give you an idea of how their season's going. Um, (laughs) Jalen Hurts threw two, three interceptions. Um, He also had a touchdown go through a receiver's hand twice on Sunday. And then the last seed, I guess, Cam Newton, 12 12 seed Carolina Panthers. Uh, They're not real. But. I think we can just stop at the Vikings at the AC. I don't think anybody else really matters. Um, I Washington's probably going to tail off. So we talked about it a little bit, and yeah, do you think once we get there, uh, Packers, Bucks, Cowboys, and ha- let me let me ask you this: Do the Rams hold on to the fifth seed because their remaining schedule isn't as easy as you would think it would be? So I mentioned they have four losses right now. They still have to play – so they play the Jags this Sunday. But after that, they go to Arizona. Then they play the Seahawks. Not sure which Seahawks team we are going to get. Then they play the Vikings, Ravens, and 49ers. One, two, two, three. That's a brutal
1: four. stretch right there. Yeah, yeah.
2: Like four of those games are going to be very tough, and that's not counting uh, what, they're gonna, what we're going to get out of the Seahawks. So um, they are going to be in some trouble.
1: Right, yeah, and, and and I've I've said this a few times. It, it, the four, I mean, there, there is a reality where maybe the 49ers have created a little bit of distance between themselves and the Rams. If things go bad for the Rams and great for the 49ers, then maybe um, it doesn't. But I, I could really see that last game against the Rams at, um, at what is it called, SoFi? Is that what their cool yeah. stadium is called? Um, at SoFi Stadium, I could really see that being like for the fifth seed or or, you know, like I said, if if things go well for the 49ers, maybe they've already put some space in between them and it doesn't matter. Ooh. Right. Because, I mean, if the Rams beat the 49ers and they're both, you know, obviously they're, they're tied as far as their record against each other, then what's the tiebreaker after that division record? Right. You know, so
2: and like it, the Rams it could come have terrible down to that. division record, too.
1: Yeah, the 49ers could could easily find themselves up to up to the 5th seed. And they they can't really get any higher than that cuz everybody above that is division winners and they're not touching the Cardinals. So Yeah, the Cardinals have to know. like lose out. Right. And and even then, you know, that would probably put them tied with the 49ers and the 49ers don't hold anything against them. So um and that we don't assume they're going to lose out either. So it, it You know, the the 49ers are in as good of a position as they possibly can be right now, given how the season started out. And it's really just up to them to maintain that. You have a road game against the Seahawks, a very winnable game next Sunday. Then you have a road game against the Bengals, who are no slouch uh, the week after that, but also very winnable. Um, And then you got the Falcons, and the Titans are kind of falling apart right now. Uh, when I you you'd have looked at that like three or four weeks ago, you would have said the Titans were far and away their hardest matchup left on the schedule. But now they're kind of, you know, a lot of their best players are out. They may not have. I mean, AJ Brown's even on injured reserve right now. I think he'll be back. Yeah, and that's a
2: short week too. So that's going to be the first game he's eligible. But it's a short week, so it's going. I don't think it's going to be easy for him to play that week. They might really dodge a bullet without uh by getting the titans without a Derrick Henry and AJ Brown. That would be big time.
1: Yeah, right, right. Because the Titans are like a supercharged version of the 49ers in the way they play. You know, just a brutal running attack. But so yeah, I mean the 40, the big thing that I like to keep in mind or the big thing that you can say from here on out is it's it's on the 49ers now. And I think they've proven enough that they've proven enough after beating the Rams handedly, which the Rams are a good team after beating the Jaguars handedly, which the Jaguars are a bad team. And then kind of going toe to toe. in what we felt was like a playoff implication type matchup with the Vikings and and winning that. I think the 49ers have established themselves that they're back to being a good football team. How good? I don't know, but it really is on them from here on out. Like there's not a whole lot of stuff like, you know it's always frustrating when a good team has to rely on another you know another team to beat another team to control where they get seated it's really all on the 49ers from here on out it, you know if if they win most of their games maybe drop one or two then they'll either have the five or the six seed and they'll be in the in the dance but um, if that stuff doesn't happen then it was really this team just imploding and reverting back to what we saw earlier earlier in the season and, you know, like I said, the good thing is that to simplify it even more. It's on them. It's in their hands where they go from here. And it's it's cool that they've been able to turn it around to this point. They just – It's not where you start and it's where you finish. <laughs> Thank you for adding that in there. What are your thoughts on the team before we roll out of here?
2: They can go 4-2 and two and make the playoffs. I, I think that – yeah, and we can get past the playoff talk, just talk about the team in general. I think they're good. I think they have – established a style of play where they can get by the Seahawks without Debo and Fred Warner. Um, I think Aziz Ashari is playing really well. I think their defensive line is playing really well. Despite, you know, not having high sack numbers, I think they, they win up front and they act, I think surprisingly they do a good job of masking the secondary. I know that they were coverage busts and there were big plays. So you're thinking like, what are you talking about? You freaking idiot. But I promise you the defensive <laughs> line is playing well um they are yeah they're a good team i I don't think that i think if you were to come up with the list of nfc teams that you would not want to play the 49ers would be right there with the other the other teams you had mentioned they're probably not in the same tier as the cardinals or the packers or probably even the bucks but the next tier like the 49ers would be right there with like the cowboys and uh, like your of course, you're going to take them over to the Rams. Off of what we've seen in recent weeks, but they're right there and they belong right there, and they've, they've proven that. I think that's a, a te- just a testament to how they play.
1: Right, and and when you're in that position, if you if you get some luck, you can you can make shit happen. You know, like a team in the forty nine ers position, even though you're not really considered um, among the best teams in the league, you you're, you still have a chance on any given day against any given team. So. Uh, and that's where the 49ers, just by the way the season's unfolding, that's all they can ask for right now is is to uh, to put themselves in a position and build themselves up to a point where they have a chance against anybody. Um, so that's a good thing. And, you know, considering how just a couple weeks ago things were imploding, the world was, was collapsing, and uh, Kyle Shanahan was on the hot seat, uh, <laughs> despite just crazy. crafting a quarterback and – you know what yes that's how this Um, works yes so yeah I, i mean i think that i think that sums it up well 49ers are winning football games and they're currently well into the playoff race so be happy 49ers fans be positive um i there is some 49ers injury news out there that we didn't really touch on but i'm not i'm not even going to put a damper on this podcast that we've uh we've kept relatively positive if you want to know about that um get on twitter and go look it up or get on the internet because i'm not (laughs) i'm not even going to throw that it's technically me withholding news from you guys but if you really want to know about the injury stuff um not horrible not great uh it's out there. Go look at it. I'm not gonna include it in this podcast to uh keep our positivity rating uh even higher. So um KP, I appreciate you jumping on, man. Always, man. Appreciate you. I know, dude. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep throwing you in here as often as I can. Just often enough to be annoying for the powers that be. Um just often appreciate enough you, for them man. to know, for them to notice. But uh all right, guys. Hey, I appreciate everybody for uh for listening to Uh, Striking gold for making the podcast What it is Um, Couldn't be able to do it We wouldn't be able to do it If there weren't numbers backing this stuff up So I appreciate you guys for listening Make sure you're listening, downloading, subscribing Commenting, rating, reviewing All that good stuff Because it it does matter Uh, Make sure you send something snarky To KP on Twitter Um, And thank him for joining the show tonight It's KP underscore show That's still what it is, right? It is okay cool don't change it it's good it's a good handle um and uh that's it appreciate you guys that's kp i'm rob this is striking golden for another episode we're signing out